yeah. Greetings and welcome on behalf of Bet Yeshurun to another Bible study on the way. I greet those that are joining us via Zoom or listening to our podcast or watching this as a recording on our YouTube website. This is Kurt Ranger speaking, and I'm grateful to Yahuwah Elohim, our Heavenly Father, for another opportunity to share a Bible study on the way. This continues a, a series about the commandments, words, and sayings of Yahushua, our Redeemer and King. We see and read in the Gospel of John, who records this declaration of our Messiah and King. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I have a message for our walk this day as we're moving along the way. And I'll open with a message from the Beloved that's just as relevant to us as it was the Yaz people centuries ago. Find it in Psalm 37, verses 4 through 5. Delight yourself also in Yahuwah. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahuwah. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. A lot of people always want to know how their prayers can be answer how the desires of their heart that Yah will hear them and make them happen more often and maybe even more sooner um, and this gives you the formula right there, commit your way to Yahuwah so if you're not sure what that way is it's part of these lessons is that we'll keep uh, learning about that way practice it also want to open now uh, you know I like to start these talks with a, a thought for meditation. I have one not to disappoint you. Got one here. That fine looking gentleman on the left. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. Of course, you probably recognize that fella, Mark Twain, also known as Samuel Langhorn Clements. Lived from 1835 to 1910. He was a well-known American writer and philosopher. And um, I always enjoyed reading his books when I was younger, and I still enjoy reading his quotes whenever I run across them. Got a, a visual picture of what I believe Mark was talking about here. And he goes, and it goes, do not follow the majority. Follow the right way. So those of you that sometimes feel like you're walking on that road all by yourself, maybe you should uh, pause and reflect on that angle too because maybe that's a, a sign. In fact, um, I don't always accept these uh, quotes from people. I go into scripture and see if I can find something that will validate so let's, let's go to uh, scripture and since we are free to choose which way we're going to go found that there's two ways and you find it in Matthew 7 chapter 7 verses 4, 13 and 14 
and there it is for you. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide the gate and broad the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow the gate and difficult the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, bring your attention to that word gate, and it's uh, explained in Thayer's dictionary, the Greek lexicon, and it's poule, Greek uh, Strong's number 64439. It's a metaphorical um, definition that I put up here, because we all know what gates are. Uh, but I want you to just contemplate about the metaphorical, the spiritual aspect of that term that we see in Scripture. And also think about what, uh, what Luke 13, 23 through 25 um, records, witnesses to, and then testifies in his gospel. Adonai, are there few that be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Adonai, Adonai, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. I want you to just think about that passage, because those are the words of our Messiah, and he's, he's pointing out that this door is going to shut someday. And I always get the sense, some, a lot of people, I'll, I'll put it off to tomorrow, I'll start turning my life around, I'll start being a little more obedient to, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, manana, manana. And uh, it could be a hazardous approach, and so I just wanted to alert you to it, that that, goat is, uh, that, that gate is going to shut. You don't want to be on that outside knocking on the door, asking him to open up. We kind of see what that response is going to be. So my encouragement is go the way of the few. We're going to examine that word many and few. That word many from that passage is polus, G4183. It speaks of a multitude, a number, numerous. Again, that's from, from Thayer's. I want you to consider another passage from uh, Matthew 22.14. Again, these are the words of the Messiah. He goes, for many are called, but few are chosen. So I think it's important that we recognize and learn what that scripturally means, the word many and the word few. Because I know this group in here wants to be among the few that are chosen. So let's, let's dive into this word and make sure you have it. The word in the Greek is oligos, G3641. means puny in extent and number. That's coming from the Strong's now. And uh, I want you to recognize that number puny actually just really just rattle people up way more than I'm seeing. It says many are going to get called but only a very puny few in number are going to get chosen. You go, well, why is that? Well, it's a difficult way that leads to life. There are going to be very few that find it. Now this 
bothered the disciples that John records in chapter 6, verse 60. He goes, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Who can believe it? Who can accept it? I also want to point out Apostle Peter in the first book, chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of Elohim. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of Elohim? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? When it says you should have a, a fear of Yah, these kinds of passages get me to fear him and, and to really reverence his way and to recognize that you know, we are a very unique group here. Look at how small we are, the few that, that come in to, to study this word and to, to seek it. This is an example of the few who look about you. And even then, I just want you to also recognize this is not going to be easy. That's the, it's really a striving to get in through that gate. So this is a Bible study for modern-day disciples of the Messiah. I've entitled it, May Those With Ears Hear. This is part two. And I want to also have a disclaimer up front. You know, I, it's really not a teaching. This is just a sharing with uh, those of you who are listening here uh, or watching later online on YouTube videos. It's a sharing of studies that I've done into uh, Scripture. And I'm, I'm just going to pose it for you. A lot of it's in question form. A lot of it uh, might be new to you. I'm trying to show you the approach that I use in studying and encourage you to follow a similar approach because Scripture also tells us to study, show ourselves approved onto our Elohim. So there's many ways to do that. This, I'm just sharing with you the way I go through. But that word here, I want you to also, I think most of this group understands it, but I'm just going to, for a refresher for everyone, make sure we're all on the the same base as we start off. That here in Greek is okuo, and it's G191 in the Strong's. It means give ear to a teaching, to comprehend, and to understand. Now, we all know what here is. Here is audibly hearing. But I want you to know, scripturally speaking, it means really paying attention to the, the teaching in Scripture, comprehending it, understanding it, and then doing it. It's, it's it's in fact that uh, I didn't put it up there, but the Shema, the word Shema in Hebrew means to hear and do. It means you hear it audibly and you're doing what the commandments or whatever Yah is asking his, his children to do. And in fact, I know uh, some of you have raised children. Some of you are still youths anyhow. Sometimes you'll hear your parents, they'll say, hey, I want you to clean off the, the tables, from, uh, the dishes from the table load up the dishwasher and, and, and move them out. They come back in a half hour, they're still there. They go, didn't you hear me? How come the dishes are still up? Didn't you? Well, they know you heard them because they were speaking loud enough. It might even have been very uh, colorful in their way that they were given that cleaning order, but um, it wasn't done. So from that perspective, you either didn't understand them, and who knows why you didn't understand that, but you certainly didn't do it. So that, I want you to get that concept. To hear means to 
hear audibly, but also to do, to understand it. Found a nice, neat quote in Matthew 7, 24, verse, verse through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Those of you here in Michigan, you're probably familiar with uh, some of the homes that people build out on the sand dunes out in uh, Lake Michigan. And every year about this time, we'll hear about some houses falling in into the lake um, because they built them up on sand and um, and didn't account for high lake levels and rains and everything else. We're out in California, too, for that matter. You'll hear about that. Um, You'll hear about homes being washed out through torrential rains. This is not, not only a physical lesson, this is a spiritual concept for you to get. Today we're going to look into in more detail a message for the church of Ephesus. I'll read it to you in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, but we're going to look into each of those a little bit deeper and uh, examine um, this message in more detail through this study. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars. And you persevered and have patience, and labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I showed you this... uh, map last week when I was teeing up this uh, series of talks about the uh, messages to the seven churches. You can see uh, Patmos is identified there. That's the location of John who's writing these letters after he gets a revelation, a vision from Elohim. He's sharing a message to each one of those. So we're going to be starting off on uh, Ephesus, right here, see if I can get this printer, there we go. And I want you to see, we're going to go up in this series over the talks, and you see the shape of a boot there? Does it look like a boot to you? It's a little bit like a boot, you know, those of you who are artists saying, that's no boot. It does have a little bit of a shape of a boot to me. Obadiah, our pastor, saw it, and he talked uh, about this uh, message Revelations. It's also in your YouTube archives. So you can go back and look at his perspective on this, this talk. And uh, so we're starting off right on the, we'll call it the heel. Not too far from where John is locked up in prison on the 
We're going to make up that series. We've got a few teachings to come up, and I'll be sharing those with you over the coming weeks, or however long this series takes. And Let's go into who, is, who are the Church of Ephesus? Identified right in that first verse, Revelation 2.1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. No, didn't eliminate, it really ends right there. The word fainted doesn't belong in there. And, uh, but I want to show that, um, you know, when we talked about this last week, was the, the angels are seven stars. There were seven of them, one for each of the churches. So he's starting off with the first one. They're considered stars, lights, lights in the darkness. And church was referred to as a golden candlestick. We're not going back. If you missed last week's, that's what we, one of the things we talked about was church was likened onto a candlestick. Remember, this is um, a parable that we're examining here. He's talking things in physical form, but there's spiritual messages behind each of these things that we're going to be uh, examining in Scripture. And, uh, there's a picture that gives a thousand words. There's the uh, church of Ephesus located in front of the temple at uh, Ephesus. Notice they're not inside the temple, they're outside that. And that's an important message. I want to, like, a lot of people get confused at times. They think that the churches refer to the buildings. They go, I'm going to church. Well, they're going inside a building somewhere. This is the, the biblical definition of a church. It was called, uh, in the Greek, it was ekklesia. Those are citizens called out from their homes into an assembly. Now, they, they, they assembled right there, right out in the open. Also, uh, founded Thayer's, uh, those hoping... For eternal salvation through the Messiah. Hey, we're the church. We're an ex ecclesia. I'm going to talk a little bit about Ephesus. Sometimes I'll share how it's pronounced scripturally. I, when I look into uh, these different um, dictionaries, biblical dictionaries, I found this interesting, so I'll share it with you only because I always, in fact, you'll catch me saying Ephesus, but it really the word is Ephesinos. Now, that's how they pronounced it back then, and, uh, and again, that's coming out of uh, G2179, that's Strong's. But I want you to think about um, Smith's Bible Dictionary's description of Ephesinos. Its name means permitted. It was the capital of Rome's Asian province. We saw that on the map where that is. That was Asia that we were looking at. I know everyone here saying, well, Asia is out with China and Japan. Back in those days, Asia was considered in Turkey. It's important that you study scripture so that you get an understanding of the context that these things are being written because uh, words change, especially in English. It had a temple in a swamp at the head of its harbor it right there. Can't see the harbor out in the distance. 
It's now desolate, that land. Today it's desolate, except for ruins in Turkey. So they find pillars and they find uh, articles from that time, uh, archeological digs. Ethesinos was also the, uh, a site of one of the largest arenas ever built by the Greeks. It could hold 30,000 people. It's bigger than the U of M basketball arena. It's bigger than most basketball arenas. I think it might even be bigger than uh, the arenas downtown where they're playing hockey. It's a huge, huge arena that they built there. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. A little picture of it. Historically, much of the original land in the district was a wetland that supported a rich biodiversity of, of plants and wildlife. Now that's how the U.S. Department of Energy and Environment is describing what they put in there, they call it a wetland. Back when I was a younger engineer, we called that a swamp. That was the definition of a swamp. And so I want you to get the, uh, so Ephesinos was, was built in a swamp. Hmm. States Capitol was built in a swamp. You can see the structures here. Oh, I'll go back here. That one is the obelisk, well known as the Washington uh, Monument. That one over there is the Lincoln Memorial. For a striking resemblance, to me at least, some of you with real sharp eyes will say, well, it doesn't look like this. This is what Ephesus had. It's the Temple of Artemis, that's what they called it. But look at all the pillars. Yeah, the roof's a little bit different, but they had the, those elaborate steps. So, and they found ruins of this. Uh, so it's not, this is an artist's rendition, of course, of it, but they were able to come up with these by um, looking into the, the ruins that they dug up. Let's talk a little bit about Artemis because that, uh, you might not even be familiar with that term, Artemis. But Diana, I know this group is going to be familiar with. Diana was the Latin word that properly devote, uh, denotes a Roman divinity and is representative of the Greek Artemis. So, in other words, Diana is the Latin word. Artemis is the Greek word. Same goddess. In fact, they even identify here. It's the tutelary goddess of the Ephesians that is identified with Astarte and other female divinities of the East. Again, that's coming from the Smith's Bible Dictionary. Talking about that, you're always encouraged during your studies when you're finding, reading about an area and you want to look into a little bit of the background, what it was going on in the time, I encourage you to go to Smith's Bible Dictionary because there's, there's a lot of information in there. And we ought, this group also ought to recognize that word, Astarte. That one is very prominent, that female goddess. Testament. But uh, here's a good paragraph that comes out of Acts 19, 26 through 27. It speaks of Diana. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trait of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worship. 
Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You could see that this fellow stirred up uh, many of the worshipers that were going to that. And this was a guy that was producing statues and shrines for Diana. He was uh, uh, selling them to the people as they were walking up those steps. He probably had his little booth set up there, and he's selling them. So he had a, a commercial interest in what was going on at the time, and he was obviously distressed that Paul was putting him out of business by getting everyone to question, what are you really doing? What are you doing going in there? Those aren't gods. So um, Paul is um, clearly a... Uh, going against that business of, that he was into. I want to talk a little bit about the traits. Let's, let's examine the Ephesus Ecclesia a little bit more. And we'll do this right out of Scripture. Revelation 2.2 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. So let's look into those mean works in the Greek is ergon G2041 it means an act deed thing done no great surprise there Matthew 516 though points out and again this is a, a quote from the Messiah let your light sh so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven so indeed that ecclesia there was doing good deeds they were doing acts, they were doing things, so he recognized that they were doing that. And this is again, John recognized, but he was getting that from the Messiah. That word labor, what does that mean? It's kapos in the, in the Greek, G2873, it means intense labor, united with trouble and toil. And so I have to admit, this was a little bit more revelatory to me that the difference between work and labor. In fact, I just want you to know, there's never any gratuitous words in Scripture. So when you're seeing things like works and labor, and I always thought, well, works and labor to me was the same. But as, you, as, you, as you're reading and studying Scripture, I encourage you to check out the meaning of these words. And here's a great passage, because if you want to know what labor is, let's visit uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 26 through 27. Journeys often, perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of countrymen, perils of Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in wilderness, perils in sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, hunger, thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So, wow. Now, we know that's Paul writing to um, the Corinthians, and he was sharing with them. And go, well, yeah, that's Paul. You know, we don't, uh, surely God doesn't expect us to go through all that kind of stuff, does he? Well, I don't know. We're all different. We all have a different mission. We all have a different appointment from you. I don't know what, um, what any of you might be going through. I do like that we assemble here, and we pray for each other, and we put up on our prayer board, we share some of these um, troubles and oils that we're going through so that we can help each other pray over them and appeal to Yah to ease up on them. But I want you to recognize you are expected to labor for the Messiah. 
Yet even through all that, he wants us to have patience, be patient with him, patient with uh, each other. Don't take it out on others. You're, you know, just because you're cold and suffering doesn't mean you come in here and bash your fellow believer in the nose and just start ripping on them or, or even on your own family. You know, I mean, just you are to bear these things with patience. Hypomony means a steadfast waiting and enduring perseverance. passage on that which captures what it is. And the reason I'm going through this is because when you're seeing words like this, Yah speaking to the, the ecclesia there, and so he's using these terms, but he's not just speaking to a, 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 a ecclesia that was around 2,000 years ago. It's an ecclesia he's speaking to is us even now. And, uh, and if uh, the boot fits, so to speak, you know, if we are in a country that is a capital of a Roman form of government. Uh, in fact, it even has a Senate, uh, like Rome used to have. So, um, I mean, we ought to recognize where we are. Are we in a, in a land like Ephesus? Are we members of a church? Is this a message for some of us? I don't know if everyone can see that passage up there, but it speaks of patience. And it comes from Psalm 62, 5 through 8. My soul waits silently for Elohim alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, Yahushua. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And Elohim is my salvation, Yahushua, and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in Elohim. Trust in him at all times, you people. Bet Yeshurun. Pour out your heart before him. Elohim is a refuge for us. So again, I'm trying to encourage you to, to look at Scripture as you're reading it and not just view it as ancient history. Work hard to figure out how it applies to you. Does it have relevance in your life as Yah speaking to you? We'll continue on with Revelation 2 into verse 3 because there's another good trait of the ecclesia in Ephesus. How thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and born, and hast patience, and for my name's sake labor, and not fainteth. So I want to shorten that up a little bit. I saying, well, can't bear them which are evil. I says, well, telling us that Yah likes it when we shun evil. We find a witness about that. Yes, Second Corinthians verse. Chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Remember when we started off this uh, talk, we were talking about how we're expected to be lights into the darkness. Darkness in Scripture recognize, uh, uh, re refers to ignorance of the truth. So when we're, when we're lights onto the world, we can help them see Yah's way of life. And a lot of people say, well, that's why I'm going to hang out at the club. You know, I'm going to hang out with the people that need the light. It doesn't work that way. Those who think that they're, uh, you know, you're going there wearing your white suit and you're all cool, snapping your fingers, you go in and the next thing you know, you're covered in dirt. You're all messed up. 
Remember that path, that path, a uh, uh, lonely path. If everyone else is hanging out in the club, maybe you shouldn't be hanging out there. They'll watch you. They'll see you going down that other road. Maybe, just maybe, there'll be one of them that'll come out of that majority and ask, what are you doing? Aren't you hanging out in the club? You should always hang out at the club. Something's different with you. That could be your opening to start sharing your light with them. First Peter also gives uh, exhortation. Chapter 3, verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of Yahuwah are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of Yahuwah is against those who do evil. Want to hear, have your prayers answered more often? Seek to be righteous. Don't hang out with those evil people. Sometimes the prayers that come about are because we made a mess of ourselves because we got entangled in evilness. Yeah, he's merciful. He's gracious. He may pull us out, but get on the right path. You know, stay on the righteous side. And he's really open to your prayers. Another good trait of the Ephesus Ecclesia. You tried them that are say that they are apostles and are not, and found them liars. Came up with an exhortation for that. It's called Test for Truth. Let's see if we can find some scripture passages. Indeed, 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of Elohim, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We're warned. Reading script, this was written 2,000 years ago. There were false prophets back then. As you can see in Revelation 2, there's false prophets around now. Don't think we're so unique. I think I heard somebody talking about the definition of false prophet. Immediately they'll say, well, I'm not a prophet. You know? And then they tell you what they heard from Yah. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Messiah. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They're good. They look awesome. The things that they say are very compelling. They sound more scriptural than scripture sometimes. That's the, that's the, the key. Know your scripture. I can't, I didn't give my pitch, but you know, get on that reading schedule. Know that word. When, you, when you've read that book from cover to cover one time, restart it again. Go back to the beginning. This is how you're going to know an angel of darkness from an angel of light because they're going to look like light. They're really angels of darkness, and you'll know them by their fruit because you'll know scripture. Use that word to protect you. Another good trait, the Ephesus Ecclesia. They had born and had patience. For my name's sake have they labored and not fainted. I didn't come up with a real short exhortation here, but what really came across to me was accept the pain for Messiah's name. And uh, I toyed around with the idea, no pain, no gain. 
and uh, but it wasn't wasn't profound enough. It wasn't capturing that. It really is about Messiah's name, because sometimes we suffer pain because of some bad choices that we make. But when you accept, when you feel the pain because you're um, doing it for Messiah's name, that's a good thing. Mark 13, 13 captures this. In fact, we're warned. Messiah warns the disciples. He's warning us. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep your eye on that vision. You're going, going to go through some tough times. 1 Peter 4.14 If you are reproached for the name of Messiah, blessed are you. For the spirit, ruach of glory and of Elohim rests upon you. Wow, it hurts my flesh beating up on me. They're smearing my name. They're ripping me. Saying, saying I'm in a cult. Hurting my feelings. All because you believe in a Yeshua. The Messiah Yeshua. You're learning scripture and you're reading it and you're doing your best to follow it. It's a good thing. Keep doing it. Keep on trucking. Yet the Ephesus Ecclesia is a grievous fault. We read about it in Revelation 2.4. Nevertheless, I have against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They weren't perfect. So remember, this is an admonition. They were good. They were coming up short of Yah's standards. So he sent that, he sent John to send them a letter to lighten them up, to awaken them. So let's study that a little bit, see if we can glean anything from it. That word left refers to afi'eme. It means to send away, to disregard, neglect, omit, give up, keep no longer, not to hinder, desert wrongfully, abandon. To lead one by not taking him as a companion. They're all definitions, so it's, it's clearly to that they left something. But I want you to get the depth of that meaning of that word. It's here in English. We know we have a short four-letter word. We all have a different opinion of what that is. It's way more than just left their first love. They may be disregarding it, neglecting their first love. They just decided to leave, not take them as a hang out with them anymore. We can all relate to that physically. I want to bring you back to the words of our Messiah, Matthew 8, 22. It says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I want you to, to really think about this one. Because if you leave the Messiah and you decide you're not taking him on as a companion, you're as good as dead to you. I want you to understand what that means. Think about the profoundness. He tells you, follow me. You can't do that half-heartedly, just like you can't love half-heartedly. He's saying, follow him. And if you don't, if you disregard some of the things he's saying, yeah, well, maybe I'll neglect. Well, I got better ways to do it, yeah. Mm. Be careful you're not falling into that category. Matthew 19, 27 through 29. And Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Yeshua said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, 
judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Again, keep your eye on the end. Keep your eye on the, your mission, where you want to end up. Came up with a third witness here. In case you can't read that. It's in Mark 7, 6 through 9. He answered and said to them, again, the words of the Messiah, Yeshua. Well did Yahu prophesy of you, hypocrites, as Isaiah writes. This people honors me with lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of Elohim, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of Elohim that you may keep your tradition. Now, of course, those he was speaking to the Pharisees. And everyone goes, well, yeah, but I don't do any of that stuff. Well, if you're following any of these leaders that are steering you away from the commandments of Elohim, again, you might want to pause and reflect. If everyone in the megachurch is going in that way, is that the way you really should be going? Are they teaching about the commandments of Yah? Or are they teaching about prosperity messages, feel-good messages? These people are around. The Pharisees and the hypocrites are around today. You just have to have eyes to see them. And you have to have ears to hear what Yeshua is teaching us about. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about this grievous fault of the Ephesus Ecclesia. Because what, what did they leave? It's, it refers to it as their first love. Now, at first, in Greek, is protos. It means first in rank, influence, and honor. And this is coming out of Strong's Concordance. And I just want to bring your attention back to uh, the use of the word first. It came in Mark chapter 12, 28 through 30. Which is the first commandment of all? Yahushua answered him. The first of all the commandments is hear, Shema, O Yisrael, Yahuwah, our Elohim, Yahuwah is one. You shall love Yahuwah, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. It's critical that we keep this in mind. Yah first, Yah first, Yah first. I love you. Completely. He doesn't want just a piece of you. He doesn't want you just on Sabbath day. He wants you every day. Every waking hour. And even when you're sleeping, he's watching over you. That word love, this group's very familiar with this. G26, agape. Agape love, it does mean affection, benevolence. Let's find out what it means scripturally. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of Elohim, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
if you're not keeping Elohim's commandments, the antithesis to this, you do not love him. Every time you flip off one of the commandments and say, well, I don't feel like doing that one today, surely doesn't expect me to keep that command. You're expressing not love towards Elohim. You're breaking his heart. Now he's loving and forgiving, but these are not commandments that are burdensome. It's, people say, well, you can't keep all that. Too many are talking about uh, all the Old Testament commandments and the, the New Testament commandments, and nobody can do that. Now, he has not given us anything that we can't do. Because he did them. He showed us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. This is really what it means about following him. Following him as best we can. Hey, we're going to mess up. We will make our mistakes. We may do it out, I pray it's done out of ignorance, not out of rebelliousness. But he, he recognizes there's going to be times that our, our mind is, is absent. We just didn't think about it, or we didn't give it our 100% and our strength. Well, when you fall short, repent, appeal to Yah's forgiveness, and get back on it. Indeed, this end-time message that's coming from into Ephesus Church is about repentance. And he, and he goes on, do the, uh, remember therefore from whence you are fallen and repent, do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So I want you to uh, understand what's coming on verse there the ecclesia is being warned return to their first works their first love and if they don't he's going to take away their light geez you think God would ever get rid of people that aren't uh, being obedient to him no this should keep you on your toes But we are going to mess up. He gives us a way to, to to respond to that. He wants us to repent. It's metanel, met, metanawa. Should have put that one up there for me to help pronounce it. it. Means to think differently or afterwards. In other words, reconsider morally to feel compunction. When you fall short and you fail to do what, yeah, you should feel awful. You should be repenting. I'm not just this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, please, please forgive me, please forgive me. No, I mean repent. That means deep repentance. You should be on the floor crying. You, not that's because you uh, did something wrong to somebody else, because you, you didn't show love to Yah. found a passage. This one always wakes me up whenever I run across it. It's Acts 17.30. Truly these times of ignorance Elohim overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And of course, this was written back after Yeshua had left earth and the apostles are spreading his gospel in, uh, among, in, among the land, among the people, the scattered tribes of Israel. 
And even back then, it says, well, you know, well, you didn't know. In many cases, for many of us, we don't know. We weren't trained. But I just want you to be aware um, that Yah is, in fact, even if you just look around our society and see what's going on, you can see that he's getting fed up with ignorance and rebelliousness. And things are happening all around us. We know the formula, okay? Repent. Get back on track. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of Elohim is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Common theme throughout the gospels, Mark 1, 15, I remember that one. The hourglass, the sands in the hourglass is running out. Uh, and you know everyone goes, well, they thought even back then it was the end of time. Well, and it was, if you think about it. They all died. We don't know. We're, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You should really be living each day as if it's your last day on earth. Because your time could be at hand. And when it is, God's taking you. You say, oh, if I only had a couple more days, I would have been better. Don't be in that group. There was another admirable trait, admirable trait of the Ephesus Ecclesia, but this thou hast, that thou hates the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What are those Nicolaitans? Their name, it's a Greek name. Their name uh, means destruction of people. Interesting is that. And this is coming again out of Smith's Bible Dictionary. They were followers of Balaam. This group knows about Balaam in the Old Testament. And it was lawful for them to eat food sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. By mingling their orgies and idolatrous feasts into church festivals, they destroyed souls. Worse, their boasting of prophetic illumination accompanied by their doctrinal and accompanied their doctrinal impurities. So they were arrogant about it. Yeah, we're, doing, we're not only doing it, Yah told us to do it. Mm. What does Yah say about I hate the Nicolaitans? Why was he patient with uh, the Ecclesia at Ephesus? They hated the, Nic the Nicolaitans. We should hate Nicolaitans. Oh, those people don't, you know, operate around anymore. They're not... They're, no, those were 2,000 years ago. How can we hate them? Remember, go look for them. Maybe this will help you identify some of them. Second Peter was writing back then about them. Chapter 2, 13 through 15. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Just start getting a picture of some people even that exist in our time that fall into that. Again, just expand your mind. Don't get all hung up on the narrowness of Scripture. He paints pictures for us in, in the Word, so I want you to 
to have eyes that can discern what's going on around us. Here's another one that might help you. Jude, chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. So look at what we've gone here. Um, John told the, sent the message to Ephesus saying to uh, hate the Nicolaitans. We knew Paul, the apostle Paul, hated the Nicolaitans. In fact, they were ticked off at him for complaining about their temple. Apostle Peter hated the Nicolaitans. Jude might also know him as Yahuda. Judah, praiser of Yah, also hated Nicolaitans. Follow our examples. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wow. You know, we could spend a lot of time going over all those little symbolisms in there and, and tracking those down, but the only one that I'll really comment on is that wandering stars, because remember, it started off with an angel, which was a star in Yah's hand and was sending the light through candlesticks onto all the believers of the world. That's the picture. You should be viewing light from Yah as being passed along through his messengers and through his believers. He wants us to go out into the world. But likewise, there are good angels. You better believe there's also wandering stars, demons. And we know where they're ending up. But right now, you can see a lot of wandering stars, a lot of evilness running amok in our world. Let us be lights. So my question here, it's a rhetorical one, is will the ecclesia listen and overcome? Ephesus certainly lived up to its name as a home of a permissive society and of government leaders that worshipped in a swamp, like the Nicolaitans. And uh, I just exhort you to open up your eyes that they do exist in our time. There's much we can learn from the Ephesus assembly. They didn't grow weary, grieve, or become discouraged in toiling for Messiah. Their patience and endurance in hostile times encouraged them and should encourage us as well to face great trials and sufferings. Hating evil deeds is a good sign of a healthy church, a healthy assembly. And we must also recognize the peril to the spiritual life of believers that leave their first love. First love really is Torah. So some of you, that if you've been drawn into this walk because you're curious about the Torah and you're learning to love the commandments of the Heavenly Father, his, his way of doing things, his will. Well, then I encourage you to walk steadfastly 
in that, start up on that road, get head towards the brilliant light at the end of that road. And it means, uh, means obeying the commandments of the Father, which the prophet Moshe shared with Israel. In other words, our assembly must stay with, with the first works and never grow cold with our love for Torah teachings. If Yeshua admonished ancient believers to repent and to love the Father's way, he's sending that message to us today as well. Will that be challenging? Sure. Impossible? No. Indeed, with Elohim's help, all things are possible for us. So if we stray off Elohim's path, let's get back on it. We can do that. Would he offer this type of reward if we couldn't? This is how Revelation 2, 7 ends for the Ephesian church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. So he's saying we can overcome. Look what's waiting for us at the end of the road, the tree of life. It's in the midst of Elohim's paradise. We don't even have a concept of what that is. There's no way. But it was around from the very beginning. It's where Adam was and Eve. If we read in Genesis 3, 24. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east end east end of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way, Derek, to the tree of life. So the light is guarding that way. But we who are children of light are walking towards that. And at the end of that path is the tree of life. Encourage you while you're seeking the way of Yahuwah, don't be afraid to ask questions. And Matthew 7, 7, great exhortation from our Messiah. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. That's the end of part two.